Hi, I'm Mike Dilk and you're listening to the Relax Bank UK show. The show that explores all kinds of health topics relevant to you, your family and your friends. Each week I talk to expert guests from a range of backgrounds to inform and entertain you. So please do join the Relax Bank UK family and stay tuned. Hi and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on the Relax Bank UK show this week. Now I always enjoy talking to my guest this week, Professor Greg White. We talk about challenges and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and getting bodies and minds to achieve things which kind of might surprise us. Now Greg's done this a lot with uh, sport relief including helping with Eddie Izzard and helping him to run 43 marathons in 52 days. Didn't all go to plan though and the first the first marathon was not exactly what Greg expected. <laughs> he stopped for Sunday lunch. Yeah, yeah, she stopped for Sunday lunch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. brilliant uh, against, but... against against advice, by the way. <laughs> we look at setting goals, having a vision, and striving for something realistic. If, for example, Eddie had said to me, as many production companies, television production companies, have asked me in the past, is could we make Eddie Izzard an Olympic champion? Well, it, it, to that, to, to some extent, that is unrealistic for m multiple reasons. So please do stay with me for a fantastic chat with a wonderful expert. Thank you. Professor Greg White does an awful lot. He's an Olympian, a sports academic, an author, trainer of comic relief participants and major endurance athlete. And even with that list, I kind of felt that I may have missed some things out. So first off, I apologised to Greg if I had indeed missed out anything important. It sounded good to me. So, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> well, I've got to say, you're one of those people that when I talk to you or find out a bit more about you, I, I, I keep finding out something else and thinking, surely he doesn't do that as well. <laughs> well, it's, it, it, I'm a busy man. You know. Yes, busy is good. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to sit down. No, well, look, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk to me as, 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 in, in your, your busy schedule. Absolute and pleasure, Mike. What, what I want to chat about and bend your ear about is, is kind of the topic we've touched on a little bit before, but how we get our bodies and indeed our minds to achieve things that seem pretty much impossible to us. And I, I'm not just talking, you know, great Iron Men or um marathons i'm talking about i want to talk about sort of you know normal people as well that actually for them it might be a walk around the block or, or a jog for a couple of miles you know anything really and, and not sort of just stay with the physical things you know I, I i think a lot of what you do and talk about can be applied to academic things you know maybe even playing a musical instrument that, uh, that sort of thing um, I, I say we, we've touched on this before, but that was before I, I, I'd read your book, uh, Achieve the Impossible, which I've now dipped into. So I, I, I feel a little bit more um, ready to ask you some of these questions. And actually, the thing that I came across, the first thing that really hit me when dipping into your book was this idea of uh, a vision, you know, and how that's a key part of, of the process. So... Really, I suppose my first my first question is, you know, what why is a, a, a vision gotta be uh why is it so important? Why is it such a key thing? Well, it's an interesting one, Mike. And, and sort of going back to something you said earlier about, you know, whatever that whatever that vision is, I think to some extent 
<clears throat> the, 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 the enormity of the challenge is somewhat irrelevant. I think what, what effectively we're talking about is a, a challenge is when we, we are effectively challenging the status quo. So we're challenging our current position. Now, you know, if that current position is sat on the sofa, having never run before, then it actually could be, if it's sat on the sofa, it could be walking around the block. Equally, it could be running around the block. If you're doing a little bit of jogging occasionally, it could be a 5K. You know, if, it, if it's, as you've said, learning a musical instrument and you've never played a musical instrument before, then effectively what you're doing is you're challenging that status quo. Now, what's, what's key to that is actually the initial vision is what what is it that you want to achieve uh, and, and and critical to that really is this idea that that, that vision has to sort of sit has to create we, we can call it a vision we can call it a, a goal um, but it, it, there are frameworks around which it should, should sit in order to make sure that we can achieve it but i think the first and probably most important point is the vision and that is ensuring that, that what that vision is actually means something to you I think an awful an awful lot of people sort of enter into a personal challenge. They they challenge their their own status quo um, because they feel they should. Because social pressure means that they should that, that that what they're trying to do is achieve something that everybody else is achieving. You know, and that I mean the classics around that is often you know people say to me, "Oh, I, you know, I, I want to run the London Marathon," and I say, "Well, do you enjoy running?" And they say, "No, I absolutely hate it." And you think, well, why, why, why are you doing that? And, you, and, and they're doing that because that's what they perceive others will assume is successful if they are able to do it. And I think you've got to be very careful about, about, about challenging yourself based upon what you think others will think about it. Mm. It's, it has to be an incredibly personal thing. Uh, right. And, and it, what, why does that matter? Because it's what continues to drive you on as you go through it. So, you know, we can chat later about what I call the central motivator, the, the primary reason why you're doing it. But the vision is absolutely crucial, but it's making sure it's the right vision. That's the key to it. Yeah, okay. No, that, that makes perfect sense. That might be a, a good point to bring in uh, one, someone who you tutored and helped uh, in, in comic relief. Um, because this, this particular one, is, it was a while ago, but it's always amazed me. Eddie Izzard, right? Now, I, I haven't met him. You, you've met him, obviously. He comes across as a great guy. He's very funny. But he is the last person I would ever imagine to run 43 marathons in 51 days. <laughs> so, yeah, but if you've got a vision, I'm, I'm, the point is, it's got to be realistic. And, well, obviously it was realistic because he did it. But it just amazed, the whole thing amazed me, especially I, I saw him after the first one. Um he ended up guzzling pints at the side of the road, didn't he? So, you know. <laughs> he stopped for Sunday lunch. Yeah, he actually stopped for Sunday lunch. Did he? Okay. <laughs> it was brilliant. brilliant uh, against, but... against, against advice, by the way. <laughs> Did you think it was realistic for him? Because, you know, I, you know, it's a, maybe that's a slightly different question, but it's got to be realistic, hasn't it? Well, I, I mean, again, as we said before, there's a framework around around what we are talking about, and certainly, you know, it being realistic, and it, it being realistic is sort of governed by a whole host of different things, really. I, I think, you know, in general, you know, I mean, you have to be very careful here. You know, if if, for example, Eddie had said to me, as many production companies, television production companies have asked me in the past, is could we make Eddie Izzard 
an Olympic champion. Well, it, it, to that, to, to some extent, that is unrealistic for multiple reasons, uh, and, and a, a whole host of reasons why that is unrealistic. Whereas, actually, if you take, if you look back and think, forty-three marathons in fifty-one days is that realistic? Well, given a whole host of other factors that we that that I will weave into it, then what you can do is you can make it realistic. Now, it, it, that's not to say that you are guaranteeing success. You can very mm-hmm. rarely do that, uh, and and actually, if you if you guarantee success, invariably it's not really a challenge. Uh, you're not changing the status quo if you if you can already foresee the outcome being positive, um, and so therefore you know they are challenging, but they should but they, they should definitely be realistic. And, and realistic comes in in different ways. You know the physicality of it. Are you physically able to do it? Have you got the resources, not just the money, but actually the time in order to deliver on it? And, and then you think about things: is it timely? Have you, are you planning it in such a way that you're giving yourself enough time to move from where you currently are to challenge that status quo to get to the point where you can be successful? Yeah. So, so making sure that, that we that, and, and really what we're talking about now is actually we're sort of moving on to goals and goal setting, um, for which there are a whole there are various different frameworks, uh, but it's just making sure that you set those goals in such a way that they can be achieved, albeit they are challenging. Right with with the confines of your life. And, and and everything else which, which I, yeah I, I suppose this leads nicely onto the next thing I, I i want to spend some uh time talking about and, and that that is indeed time so you know if um you know we're, we're all short we're all short of time um we just outlined some of the things you get up to at the start of this chat but you still do some you know extraordinary uh, things as you know you know, you do marathons and Ironman and all this so you must put aside a lot of time uh, for training I would imagine and my my thought is you know how can you how can you I suppose personally but <laughs> us everyone else possibly do that I feel like there's no spare time in my life so if I suddenly wanted to do uh, an Ironman uh, or think about and do the track it, it would be very difficult I can't imagine how I would find the time yeah I mean, it's, it, uh, it's an interesting one because actually the contemporary issue currently now is that, you know, every time there is a crisis, the government say, we haven't got any money. Uh, and then all of a sudden they find they find billions of pounds stuffed behind the sofa, uh, you know, in the in the cabinet. They did office. that recently, didn't they? Um, but they can print uh, but, more, you see. We can't print more time. Well, I, I think what, what, what's interesting about it is that, you know, in, in that analogy, you know, yes, they can print more, but actually that creates all sorts of problems, inflationary pressures, etc. You know, let's not let's not talk politics. But <laughs> you know, but to some extent, what what they do do, um, and is what the, what we can do is is to some extent one of two things. Well, one is really about planning, and I think what what we all think is that we're all time poor. We all think we haven't got enough time to do anything. And I, I would say, out of everything, probably the number one reason for people not challenging themselves. Is because they haven't got the time to do it, and I think actually, if, if you take a look at the day and, and you look at the structure of your day, and if you plan that day in a different way, what you will find is that you can create time. But it, it was a classic line from my dad, which used to infuriate me when I was a kid uh, around all sorts of things, whether it was around revising for exams or whether it was around sport. And he always used to say to me, "You can make time 
and it used to infuriate me. It's like, well, of course you can't make time. Yeah. Um, but of, to some I, extent, I what he was alluding to was the fact that actually, if you have a plan, yeah, and, and it's and it, but it's so true. You know, look, we've all heard it. Um, but it, but it's about how you structure your time. And if you structure and you plan your time appropriately, actually, what you can do is you can create more time. Number one, and then I think number two is actually about prioritization. Uh, and it's about making sure that if you, you know if you are going to challenge yourself again, come back to this idea that it's a very personal challenge. You know, the vision is is personal. It means something to you. Ensuring that you actually bring everybody else with you so if you've got family um you know you've obviously got work etc but making sure that they buy into your vision and your challenge as well is really important uh, they understand what what that prioritization process is and and again in doing that what you would be able to do is carve out time in order to achieve it so what, what we're not doing is making the day longer we're not making every minute last an extra couple uh, extra 10 seconds all we're doing is structuring our time much better and prioritizing it to deliver at this particular moment of time on that goal. Absolutely. No, I get that. Uh, although having I, I, I'm reading your book and this comment about making time, I have made a mistake. And if I, I uttered those words uh, to my to my daughter. <laughs> so we all do I, it. We yeah, well, so it. I Recently, I've been finding myself turning into my dad, but I also appear to be turning into your dad as well. So it's just like a double whammy. <laughs> it's a, it it, listen, it's, it's everybody's dad. Everybody's <laughs> dad has said it. Yeah, it didn't go down well. Um, but so. <laughs> anyway, do, oh, so we okay. Time, you, you you've got to just get things, people on board, and sort it sort it out. You know, there's, there's not an easy way of doing that. Um, something else, actually, which you mentioned in your book, which I just want to. Uh, talk about and how it potentially is it relevant to normal people that this wheel of success because there are lots of things um that uh, you mentioned in this is in this wheel of success um and i looked at that and thought, well, is, is that really relevant to you know me to, to regular people because you, you know you talk about the team supporting you and all, all this kind of thing um i don't know what any, any thoughts about how uh, normal people can go about this stuff no, I think I think what's really interesting is is that that in, you know what we do is that we what we consume from the media, uh, particularly you know for example in things like sport is that we what we see is we see the athlete and then we see this team around them we see that you know we, we're currently watching you know qualifiers in football we're watching the World Cup at rugby and we see uh, the coach. And in fact, what we see is we, you know, in rugby, we see an offensive coach, a defensive coach. We see the overall coach. <laughs> then we've got the physio, and we've got the medic, and we've got, you know, and 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 what we're led to believe is that that that's how elite sport is delivered. You know, it's, it is a team approach, and everybody is contributing their little bit. But the only reason they're doing that, or, or one of the primary drivers for doing that, is they've got the money to do it. And so they can employ all of these people to, to create a team. And, and in business, you look at that and you think, well, the reason why that CEO is successful is because actually they've got, you know, they've got senior management, they've got middle tier management, they've got everybody working for them, and they've got this big team that's driving it forward. But I think, and so and to that end, we're sort of led to believe that actually it's, it's somebody else who's got this team. But actually, we've all got a team. Uh, now, the size of that team may well change, but but all of us, I mean, the one thing that I always say is, look, nothing great is ever achieved alone <laughs> nothing and, and, and often when you look at people you think oh my god they're they're amazing 
But actually, sat behind them is a team of people. And that team, it can be a variable size and variable composition. So, you know, very, as we've already said, you know, within this conversation, actually family is incredibly important. Probably the most important part of my team is the family, is my wife and my children um, and, and my broader family, you know, to ensure that actually I, I have the support that is necessary in order to do what I am doing, the challenge. Um, to ensure that 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 they're along with it, because actually, if you get the team wrong, uh, and the team aren't supporting you, then they become a significant barrier to success. Mm. And so, making sure that you have those conversations early, making sure that everybody is buying into it, making sure everybody understands what what not only what you're trying to take on, but actually what what is required to to create success. In doing that, what you do is you create the right team. Who are going to support you in the, in that process, um, and also the fact is that you create a team at all that you've actually got a team, and that you know, and generally that can broaden depend upon what you need and, and what your resources are, but but the team is absolutely fundamental to the delivery of success. Right. But it's not it's not just about having a team; it's making sure that you, that that, you, that obviously you've selected that team in the sense of your family, but but more broadly, you select the right team. Then what you've got to do is make sure that team functions appropriately. So that's making sure that the communication across that team, making sure everybody's on the same page, making sure everybody understands what their what their role is, how they can optimize that role. And so, again, it's one of those things that the onus is on you as the challenger. You know, it's your vision. You're the one at the end of the day who will stand on the podium, uh, or you know, who will in, in, you know see business success or whatever it is. Um, but making sure that the rest of the team are, are, are within that. It's so because it's your challenge, you've got to do the work to make sure that team works and is successful. And I think sadly, a lot of people think, just assume that, you know, I'm going to run the London Marathon. Everybody's bought into it. I don't need to tell them what I'm doing. And I'll just ad hoc, you know, ask for things as we go along. Sure. Planning. It doesn't work without planning. I, actually, while you were talking uh, just then, but given the example of, you know, a, a, a rugby team with all these different coaches, et cetera, et cetera. Like that, that's, that's today. I was thinking, Hmm, I wonder what your team was when you were an Olympian. I, I, I suspect it was fairly minimal because it was, um, uh, you know, it was just a different time. Well, wasn't it? Well, I'm an old man. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, yeah, I think you're <laughs> Thanks, pretty Mike. much a similar age to me. <laughs> no, but you know, it's interesting. because I, I often regale this story, you know, when talking to people, because actually, it, certainly for my kids, you know, and and for for kids of today, uh, and then also, you know, to some extent, we've got sort of rose-coloured spectacles on, don't we? We sort of look back and we assume that elite sport was always the same. Well, you know, when I competed, there was no money, no money, um, and, and in fact, there was, you know, certainly in the early part of my career, it was in complete amateur ethics, so you weren't allowed to to yeah. earn any money from sport. Um, you know, that has changed significantly uh, since that time. But the one thing that, that did change, and actually and I was the chair of the British Olympic Association Athletes Commission, so I, I, I sort of chaired the group that looked after all British Olympic athletes um, from 97 to 2000. Um, and it was in 98 that lottery funding came in. Um, and that lottery funding transformed, utterly transformed the landscape. Because you're right. I mean, pr prior to that, I, I had I had individual coaches that I had to pay for individually because um, I was a modern pentathlete, obviously. So five events, yeah. uh, different coaches, um, 
and it was very late in my career prior to retirement that sports science and sports medicine actually became a thing right. so you know the idea of having a physiologist and nutritionist and a psychologist i mean was really new um but since that time you know i mean an, an athlete now can be surrounded by anything up to around about 15 specialists as part of their team from nutrition biomechanics <laughs> physiologists psychologists strength and conditioning specialists coaches you know the list goes on um and, and so it, it, it very much has changed um, dramatically. But people often say, is that the reason why uh, you know, performances have improved? Yes, in part it is. But I think what's actually changed more than anything else within elite sport is actually the professionalization of sport, which enables the time. So when I was a, uh, an athlete, um, because there was no money, you either worked or you studied. Uh, right. you, had no, you had to do something. I mean, I, I studied um, because I've always tried to avoid work as best I can, you know. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so whereas now, um, you know, I, my recovery was going to a lecture. Right. Uh, whereas now athletes have, they've got three hours off between sessions and so they can optimise that recovery and so therefore ensure that the next session is of the highest quality. Yeah. So it, it has changed dramatically. Uh, money has made the difference to that. Um, but I think, again, what, what money has done, as well as in, increased the size of the team, what it's also done is it's professionalized the approach. So things like, as we've already spoken about, things like planning, prioritization, uh, structure has improved dramatically. And, and that is what has led to enhanced performance. Yeah. But having said all that, you, you can plan, you can find time without the money. Everybody can do it um, to some extent. So. If you're if you're listening to this and thinking, "Oh God, I've got no chance," you have every chance. Absolutely, crack on yeah. with it. Um, you just got to be, you know, and you've got to be inventive. I think, Mike, sometimes, and and don't don't be lured into this idea that you know, from a sporting challenge perspective, you know, the one thing that I say to most people is, look, you know, when it comes to things like equipment, you can spend as much money as you like on equipment. Uh, and sadly, an awful lot of people who've got the money think that buying expensive equipment means they'll go faster. Uh, or they'll go longer and it simply is not the case uh, right. so what you've got you've got to be a little you've got to be savvy about where you spend the money and you can spend an awful lot less money for the same outcome because yeah. what you're doing is you're, you're and again it's this idea of actually doing the work rather than taking rather than effectively taking the shortcut and that is you know going onto a, a chat room and saying i'm buying a new bike what's the best one to buy Somebody comes up with a particular bike that's going to cost you fifteen grand, and, and say, so oh, "Okay, well, I'll just do that." If you've got that sort of money, um, whereas actually, you could spend five hundred quid on a bike and do and do just as well, yeah. uh, and in fact, probably do better psychologically, do a lot better. That's for sure. So I think you've got to put the work in. You know, it's yeah. your responsibility. You have a responsibility to put the work in across the board. All right, very good. Let's let's just move on to something slightly different. Now, I, I, I quite often ask my guests impossible questions. So this this might be going into the area of impossible <laughs> questions. So apologies for that. I've, I've spoken about similar sorts of topics with a with a brain surgeon, actually, Dr. Rahul Jandial. And uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. And he was he spent a lot of time talking about how the brain uh, works. It can help people to sort of ignore pain or forget pain or get the rewards from doing activity. I think he, he, he talked about 
spoke about the brain as this sort of internal pharmacy, that 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 sort of thing. But it got me wondering, and I I, I'm not, I don't think there's a real right answer to this, is that you know, some people are taller, you know, and so they have an advantage in basketball because they're you know they're just built differently. Do you think some, you know, and some people are cleverer, you know, they they, they just are, although they can work at that. Do you think? there might be sort of brain advantages that some athletes just have because they get, they, they, they make these sort of brain chemicals that uh, reward exercise or help them just sort of go a bit faster or ignore the fact it's hurting a bit, a bit more, you, you know, just, you know, some people just are better at this stuff, aren't they? Or are they, you know, what's the difference? Well, I mean, uh, first off, Raul, Raul John Dial, Raul's a, a very close friend of mine. Um, and, and we, interesting enough, we talk about this topic regularly. Uh, and, and really, what, 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 you're, what, the, what the question boils down to is the age-old question of nature versus nurture. So uh, are, are, great, <laughs> are great athletes born or are they made? Um, and the, the bottom line is that it is a combination of both. Um, what, what you are born with really matters. So you're right, but particularly in certain sports. So you know, if if you want to be, if, if you want to be a defensive linesman in American football, you've got to be a monster. Uh, and, and so, therefore, you know, if you are if you are five foot two, you're going to struggle at, at doing that. Um, but he, but but I think what 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 matters there though, and and this is this issue that 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 has developed over time, and certainly more more recently, this idea of talent identification. And that talent identification process really is about actually pred predicting and projecting where an individual is going to go. So equally, um, if you if you if your if your projected maximum height is six foot four, um, you're unlikely to make a great gymnast, um, because gymnasts have a particular somatotype, a particular body type, and so every sport has a particular body type. The question yeah. is, there are some things some things within that body type that you really can't change. Or the effect certainly naturally you can't change, mm. um, and so therefore there, there there is an element of of nature to it. But for me, by far the most important aspect is the nurture, is the the, the making of an athlete. And I think what we have to be really careful of is to, is to assume that that is that is one dimensional. Where actually what it is, it, it's what I, I always describe it as is what's what I call the perfect storm that is required and it is bio so it's biological it's bio psycho it's biopsychosocial okay. economic um so because actually you know all of these things matter so what's what's your biology that obviously matters what's your psychology that obviously matters what is your sociology where do you live you know i mean a great example of that i always talk about someone like usain bolt who was born in kingston jamaica um, now, if he was born in Kingston, Southwest London, it is unlikely that he would have been the fastest man ever to run on this planet, because he had grown up in a, in a country that is utterly obsessed with football. And so, <laughs> as a kid and as a teenager at school, he'd have been the fastest kid on that pitch, and he'd have been selected for football, and he'd have been farmed into football, and he probably and he could have been. I know he loves football. Uh, he could have being a professional footballer but but in kingston jamaica every kid in jamaica wants to be a sprinter because okay. there is a culture there is a culture of sprinting 
Now, add on top of that, what they've also got is the facilities. They've got tracks, you know, right. and, and so therefore they've got the facilities to train. Add on top of that, they've got competition. Every kid wants to do it. And so you've got this huge, broad base of competition. So therefore, it, it, you know, in order to win the national schools in Jamaica, it, well, you're, you are probably close to, if not uh, winning world junior championships just right. to win their national championships. And so that this idea of the, the pyramid into elite is very much based on how big that base of athletes are. Add on top of that, they've got great coaches. And so what you've got is you've got this this societal, this social uh, perfect storm in order to make Usain Bolt into a, a great sprinter. It doesn't mean he will be a great sprinter because he also needs the biological and the psychological and then, of course, the economic really matters as well, because we've spoken about that, the, the impact of money on it. So it is, it's a really complex picture. And I think that there is a real tendency to lean, to lean on the, the nature piece as an excuse for why certain individuals or certain nationalities are, are good, uh, are, are the best at a certain sport. Um, and whereas I think actually what matters far more is the nurture aspect of it. And it's getting that nurture aspect right, which means that, that with with the right nature, <clears throat> because you, you could be, you know, Dave Bedford, um, uh, uh, you and I probably remember, um, was the world 10,000 meter record holder. Um, and there was a great interview he did with Athletics Weekly at the time uh, when he'd just broken the world record and he was he was in a pub um, and the interviewer said to him, said, what's it like to be the best 10,000-meter runner in the world? And he said, take a look around the pub. He said, because I might not be the best 10,000-meter runner in this pub, never mind the world. The only difference is, is that I had a talent and I used that to achieve what I have achieved. So, oh, nice, so yeah. for me, for me, the, the, the nature bit is one one, it's an important part, but it's a small part of what is actually required to make a leap. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I, I can just tell a, a, a small personal story in that. So I've got a son at age thirteen, and uh, when I was at school, all I ever did was play rugby. All right, I was I wasn't that great. I played schoolboy rugby, and I uh, suggested him a few times. Would you like to try rugby? Hates it. He does ballet, and actually, he's in better physical shape than I ever was at age thirteen. Uh, it's just, it's, it's just, it really is good. It's good for him, but um, I'm, I'm sure, um, and I, I don't try and stop him doing ballet and play rugby instead because that would be a disaster. You know, you, you have to go with the yep. way you 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 have, uh, well, you want to go, and and you have some talent. So you know, um, all well, those people think, in yeah, the pub yeah, that, that, might. That, yeah. Sorry, yeah, but it's, it's true, and I think that's it, it, probably well. The most important thing about that story is that, it's, and this is important for everybody, and that is, look, do what you love. Mm. And I think that I, I think you know, and it's that sort of trite saying about work. Like, if, if 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 you if you if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Um, and and that, that's true about sport as well. And and I think the the big problem that I see on far too regular a basis is parents living vicariously through their children's lives and forcing their kids to do things that they want them to do. And you see that in certain sports it, it, more often, but I see it across the board where, where what you realize is that, that the, 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 
the child is being pushed to the dream of their parent. Well, yeah. it will it will always always end in failure because as soon as that child gets to a point where they can make where they are they make their own choice, they're gone. Yeah, and right. and it, it's and, and they might have been a great junior athlete. They might be great as a junior, but they never make it as a senior athlete. So so the moral of that story is do what you love, and if you do that, it, that's that's absolutely the right uh, starting point. Very good. Let, let's for, just for a moment bring it back to some of the things that you love. Now I know you're you're still doing incredible events. Uh, I saw a film just uh, earlier this morning about you doing the Norseman. Um, yeah, <laughs> which, and which, which is well, just describe what the Norseman is. It's almost unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's lunacy, really. Uh, it, well, well, they call it the toughest triathlon on the planet, um, and it is for people who know what triathlon is. Obviously, it's a, a swim, bike, run. Um, at the end of that distance spectrum is what is what they call Ironman or long distance, um, and the Norseman is that in terms of distance. Um, and so it's a two and a half mile swim, 112 mile bike and a marathon run back to back, no recovery. Um, but what they do at the Norseman is that you, I mean, from the very beginning, you, you jump off the back of a ferry at five o'clock in the morning, you swim in the pitch black along a field for two and a half miles. When you get out on the bike, you effectively climb into what the Alps in Norway, who, who knew Norway was so mountainous, but it really is. Uh, for 112 miles and then on the run the marathon uh you effectively start off on the flat and then what you do is you go from sea level to the top of a mountain which is 1800 meters in altitude so it is it's lunacy <laughs> frankly <laughs> um, but it, but it, but it, you know it's it's, it's, it's it, i guess to some extent in that sort of triathlon sphere it's it's probably the one thing that that people really dream of doing because it is it is the the toughest on the planet so what what i'm keen to ask is you know in in your throughout your sporting career you you have nothing left to prove at all you know you really don't yet you still keep doing this stuff so this uh well i was going to say what's wrong with you i didn't mean that what no <laughs> no that's right that's right oh, what, man, keeps you that's, going. What my, that's, what, that's what my wife says <laughs> what did you tell her <laughs> I, 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 I think everything sort of brings us back to this original point of you know of the vision and and the love is that actually it, it is you know it, others well you know I, I've probably described it as purgatory before I mean you know and it's I think what's interesting about these things is often what we do is we 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 view it at the at the end product you know so you know going back to our conversation about World Cup rugby what we're doing at the moment is we're watching you know. 22 15 on the pitch of the of the country's greatest rugby players what we haven't seen is the 15 years it's taken them to get to that point <laughs> and the amount of yeah. blood sweat and tears that they have that they have done you know overcoming injury incredibly hard work you know and and years and years of dedication uh to the sport and so i think you know to some extent we sort of we see the glamour we see the glamour bit and i think a lot of people actually assume that that, that well do you know what that's the bit I want. I want the glamour bit. But you can't have the glamour without having the bit that goes before it. Um, and I think actually it's the bit that goes before it, which is the most difficult part. People talk about, you know, the stress and the anxiety of competition. Well, you know, that's that's the best bit because that's the reward for all of that work that you put in. 
Um, and so it, it, reflecting on that positively, I think is important. But but for me, I think it's actually about that. It's, it's I actually, I, I love it. I enjoy it. I enjoy the, the misery of, of training. Um, and, and I think to some extent there is a, obsession is a difficult word, but certainly it's part of what I do. And, and when I don't do it, I, I'm, my mental health and emotional health is never as good. Um, so it, there is a health aspect to why I do it, albeit other people would look at it and think that it's just, it's got to be unhealthy to do that. In, yeah, interesting. Okay, we, we, we just touched on the pain of things. Um, very quickly, I just want to ask you a question about a, 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 another extreme endurance athlete that I've read about uh, recently. And actually, I've spoken to him on this show, Sean Conway. He recently yeah. finished 105 triathlons in 105 days. Is I mean, this is approaching kind of the end, isn't it? It can't get any more endurance. <laughs> That's got to be it, hasn't it? End of story. <laughs> we always think that. Sean is a, a good friend of mine, actually, um, and, a, and a very interesting character. I think, you know, it's uh, interesting. Sean has this saying about the first, the furthest, or the fastest is what he's always trying to be. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I mean, what, what he was following a challenge that um, a, a chap, I think it was the Iron Cowboy, uh, had, had set. And I'm sure at that time they thought that was uh, <laughs> un unbreakable, unbeatable. Um, and, and so I think, you know, to some extent, what, what, what we do through life is we reset what is possible. Um, and I think what, what can we take from that? I think, you know, as a, as a non-triathlete, you know, a non-exerciser, you could take a look at that and think, well, that's got nothing to do with me. But I think actually what it's about is actually about challenging yourself. It's exactly what we started the conversation with in terms of this yeah. challenging the status quo. And I think, you know, is it possible? Well, nothing stays still. You know, no, I remember when yeah. you think, you know, Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile in 1954. And, and at that time, the pervading belief was that, that if a man ran below four minutes, they would die. Well, yes. you know, now men and women run below four minutes and, and they run significantly below four minutes. And that world record is, is constantly being broken. The, the interesting point about what you say, and this is something that I have published on quite a bit, and that is about are we reaching the limits of human performance? Um, and I certainly think that in terms of in terms of things like speed, we're starting to reach the limits so when it comes to, to strength and speed. But I think when it comes to distance, uh, or, or in, as we saw with with Sean in his uh, 105 triathlons, is I think I think it's a, what the human is capable of is truly astonishing, um, and I think where we are, we're just on a we're on this journey uh, of demonstrating what that is, um, and it, it will continue for, for for people who are interested in breaking those type of records. Yeah. I think that into the future there will always be people who will want to break those records. Yeah, interesting. And it appears I, I, I mainly interview friends of yours. I hadn't realised that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps to finish, we, we just bring it back again to sort of ev everyday people, because that's how we started off a little bit. So if, if someone is, you know, maybe sitting on their sofa listening to this and thinking, actually, I really need to just set myself a bit of a target. Give them just one to finish, a bit of a, a nugget or a, a bit of a push. But they need to just just think about doing something that would be you know good for them sensible for them or fun for them 
Well, I think, I, I think honestly, the most important thing, as we've said it before, is that do something that is in, that is personal to you. You know, do something that you love. And I think particularly if you're starting out on that, I mean, I think, you know, we can migrate and start to do other things and challenge ourselves in other ways. But I think the first thing that you should think about is that you don't, you know, if, if it's a physical challenge, you don't have to do couch to 5K. You know, it, it's not it's not the, the, the rite of passage into physical activity. Whereas actually, if, if if running is what you would love to do and you live in a beautiful area, and you'd like to explore it more and, and there are lots of good reasons why you, you want to run, then actually counts to 5K, great way to do it. Um, and, and I think the, the great thing about those type of, uh, programs the couch to 5k for example is a really good example of how it should be done in terms of this progressive increase so that actually you go slightly longer and slightly longer and what you're not doing is suddenly going from the couch trying to run a 5k is it's going to take a period of time to get to that point and what you do is you give your body time to adapt to it um so the nature of the challenge is is uh, very similar but i think what you should do is actually pick something that you love and, and to my mind, I think one, one of the great things about picking something you love is you may never have done it before. Um, and actually, if the higher the skill level of it, you get this thing called mastery, is that as you start to get good at it, that actually becomes incredibly motivating. As you get better and better, it becomes incredibly motivating. So doing something you've never done before is actually not a bad idea, but do something that, that's slightly technical. So, so for me, for example, swimming, if you can't swim, learning to swim is is empowering and is a really great challenge because as you get better and better that creates more and more motivation and you start to love it more and more but you know equally things like actually learning an instrument you know learning to play the piano is, is a great way to do that for particularly for mental uh, and emotional health um dance is a wonderful way to 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 start off so i think if, if you are at the start of your journey you've never done anything like it before the, the absolute most important thing is do something that you are going to love okay. and in doing that it will mean you keep doing it yeah all right that, that sounds like perfect advice to finish on so greg look thank you very much indeed for chatting i know you're a very busy guy and you got to run off now so i really do appreciate the time always a pleasure mike and i thoroughly enjoy our chats Many thanks to my guests on the show this week, and that was Professor Greg White. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening, and have a healthy week. Until next week. Thanks for listening to the Relax Back UK show. Join me, Mike Dilk, again next week for more fascinating interviews and chat. If you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe, like, and share it with your family and friends. And have a healthy week. Until next week.